0: Good morning. Today is a uh, part one of a a two-part mini-sermon series within the Gospel of John. Chapters 7 and 8, they go together. So this is Jesus' third and final trip to the Jewish capital of Jerusalem. So he'll be in, on, and around Jerusalem for roughly six more months until the Passover, the following spring, when he'll be crucified raised from the dead and eventually ascend to heaven this here is the feast of the tabernacles in john uh, 7 and 8 he has two purposes one to show that jesus is the fulfillment of the tabernacles that symbolism is replete throughout chapter 7 and 8 and then the second is to be representative for us around the questions regarding jesus's identity So over the next two weeks, I want to show you who Jesus is. For this week, who Jesus is leads us to the matter of why should we follow him. I'm going to jump to verses 37 and 30 to 39 in John 7. This is the last day of the feast, most likely the eighth day. We'll read what Jesus says and then a bit of John's commentary. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear what you have for us today in this Scripture. Draw us near and show us the beauty, the majesty, and power of your son, Jesus. Lord, keep Satan's temptations to distraction away from us. Right now, let us hear from you. Give our hearts the water of life that we might flow over to others, following your Holy Spirit's prompting and working in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My middle child, Marshall, has been watching the Marvel movies again. He's chosen some important ones for me to watch with him. And so we were watching not too long ago, The Age of Ultron. And I said that I really liked that one, uh, how they were developing the characters beyond just superhero strength and talents. They actually seemed to have worked on the dialogue. It was pretty good. He said, no, no, this isn't great. There's not enough action in it. Just wait till we get to... Captain America, Civil War. It's all action, and he was right. John's gospel is divided into the Book of the Signs, chapters 1 to 12, and the Book of Glory, chapters 12 to 21, where John 7 and 8 fall within the Book of Signs is in a bit of a non-sign portion of this. Lots of dialogue, a huge pronouncement, but very little action. This dialogue, however, is going to advance us to the point of tension to the cross, who Jesus claims to be in these two chapters is stunning. Our choice, uh, we will follow Jesus or we will execute him. One year has passed since Jesus' last clash with the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem. Several months have actually passed since John 6 and Jesus fed the 5,000 back in, in the sea, of, near the Sea of Galilee. So this is the last half of Jesus's earthly ministry. So let's think of, of chapters 7 and 8, a scene 1 of a heavy dialogue portion within John's gospel. Uh, these two chapters are going to take place in the uh, temple in Jerusalem. Scene 2 will be chapters 9 and a lot of 10 around Jerusalem. But scene 3, In chapter 10, the end of that will take us back to the temple. Just to kind of set that out for you. So we're walking into some confusion this morning and discussion in our text. Lots of fussing about who Jesus is and who he is not. Uh, This week and next week, it's going to be super important. We'll look at who he is and as such, what he calls us to. Four points today. Since Jesus is on a mission, we must follow him. Since Jesus is the Christ, we must follow him. Since Jesus is the water of life, we must follow him. And since Jesus is about to send his spirit, we must follow him. First point, Jesus is on a mission, we must follow him. If he's on a mission, we gotta look at what that mission is. First clue is that his mission had him intentionally coming during the Feast of Tabernacles. Look at verse one. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. This feast was one of three feasts that Jewish men were required to travel to Jerusalem and celebrate. The first feast of the year was the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that was in April. God's people gave him thanks for the fruit of the olive harvest and the fruit that they had. But predominantly, The Passover celebrated and remembered the Israelites' deliverance out of slavery in Egypt by signs, by miracles, by God's mighty hand. The second travel feast of the year was the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Weeks. And uh, it was celebrated at the end of May. And this thanks God for the wheat harvest then our feast in question. We're going to get to that, but these feasts were integral parts of the Jewish calendar year. It was not only men who traveled. This was a pilgrim caravan, men, women, children, livestock for safety, for fun, for the load sharing, for singing, the Psalms of ascent, going up to general to Jerusalem. That'd be Psalms 120 to 134. Just imagine these precious children here singing all the way up to Jerusalem. God's people sang these songs as they walked up. Remember when Jesus was a 12-year-old boy? He was in the, the, well, found in the temple, but mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, couldn't find where he was. They looked for almost the entire day in the people, the throng, that was leaving Jerusalem and going back home. And then they finally found him. That shows you just how big of a group this was. This feast, however, in Leviticus 23, sets the stage. Verse 42. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the Feast of Booths, or tabernacles, one and the same, celebrated in late September she recounted that 40 years in which they wandered in the wilderness, in the, in the desert, due to their sin, due to their hard hearts. And they lived in tents or, or booths or, or tabernacles. For the feast, the people made these booths and tents out of palm branches and such. And they lived in them for seven days of the feast as a reminder of just how hard it was, that journey that the Israelites made to the promised land. These booths were built all over Jerusalem, tops of houses and streets, gardens, even within the the courts of the temple. The feast also marked the end of the agricultural year, and it was a time that they prayed for rain. They thanked God for the rain that he had provided for this season, harvest season, and for the one to come. They prayed for that. People also were looking during that Feast for a new Exodus, a final harvest when the kingdom of God will be brought in. So, the Feast of Booze was a picture of the great and the final harvest when before the throne there would be people from every nation, tongue, tribe, and people. That's a bit on the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll come back in just a second. But let's look at a couple of players in the discussion and the fussing that goes on here about Jesus' mission his mission was impacted by his brothers. These were naturally born sons of Mary. And there's some stinging sibling rivalry going on here. Months, this is months after John 6, the feeding of the, say, 20,000 people or so, men, women, children, his disciples kind of waned. They kind of fell off. He's kind of back to his 12 trustee, maybe 11 trustee, and a few more. Verse 3. So his brothers said to him, "'Leave here and go to Judah, "'that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. "'For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. "'If you do these things, show yourself to the world. "'For not even his brothers believed in him.'" Jesus said to them, "Uh, "'My time's not yet come, but your time is always here.'" Basically, you can go anywhere you please, anytime you want, uh, but I cannot. "'The world cannot hate you, but it hates me "'because I testify about it that its works are evil.'" You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, he also went up, not publicly, but privately. Jesus' mission was impacted by his brothers, but also by the Jewish crowd. Look at verse 11. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him. I translated that fussing but yeah, muttering is probably a better word. About him among the people, while some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, so this would be the Jewish religious authorities, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. So this would be in one of the porticos off to the side of the temple. There was a court of women, court of Israelite men, the court of the Gentiles, such things like that. Verse 15. Uh, the Jews therefore marvelled, saying, "How is it that a man, that this man has lor- learning when he's never studied?" So Jewish males at this time could read and write, and would all have a basic understanding of Scripture. But what was different or unusual about Jesus was that he could carry sustained discourse, just like the rabbis would do, with frequent references to Scripture. Verse sixteen. So Jesus answered, "That my teaching is not mine, but His." who sent me. So this is an age not like the age that we're in where we prize and value individuality. This was a time where being an individual would have gone awry. They would have dismissed him immediately. So he's saying teaching's not mine, but him who sent me. Verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there's no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. This is probably a reference to him healing the um uh, invalid in John 5 verse 22 Moses gave you circumcision not that it is from Moses but from the fathers and you circumcise a man on the sabbath if on the sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken are you angry with me because on the sabbath i made a man's whole body well Jesus comes in with a solid argument from the lesser to the greater he's saying okay you say it's okay by the law to disregard the Sabbath to heal one member of somebody's body. And I'm saying, I just healed the whole person's body and you're, you're fussing with me about that? I, I don't know. He says in 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. My translation, use your brain. All right, so his brother's, We've got the, uh, the Jewish crowd, but then also his mission, Jesus' mission was impacted by the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the temple guards, the officers, and even more crowds. Skip down to verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So these would have been temple guards, religiously trained men. They would have been not brutal thugs. They actually would have been uh, Levites. Then Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? So the crowds that it would have been there in Jerusalem at that time, they would have come from they would have been Judeans, they would have been Galileans, they would have been from the diaspora, the, the Jews that were living outside of Palestine since the Babylonian exile in, in five eighty six. Uh, think of the story of Esther. That was what was happening there Uh, in verse 36. What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. All right, I'm gonna try something here this morning. All right, I'm gonna try to do a parallel here with the Appalachian Trail and following Jesus. All right, so the illustration thread throughout these four points is gonna be building progression of the Appalachian Trail, okay? And then the Appalachian, Oh, that's that's really hard, isn't it? The application progression is going to be following Jesus, moving in that way progressively. Let's see if we can do it. So the main point, Jesus is on a mission for the Appalachian Trail. That's you saying, you know, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool to hike that. Yeah, sure. All right. We're considering hiking the 2,190 miles, right? It's uh, annually, thousands attempt it, one in four make it. takes five, seven months on average. Then when, where do you begin? north, south, you flip-flop. What about bears, right? What about snakes? What about ticks? We're counting the cost here. Why do this? Maybe it's the natural beauty, the natural world, wild country, maybe it's adventure. Maybe it's the challenge that you feel. Folks from five years old, to 86 have all completed uh, this journey, and lots have done it with disabilities, all walks of life, folks from all over the world. New friendships are made. It's about a thousand dollars a month, kind of average, uh, and to be considered a through hiker, you got to finish it within 12 months or less. That's the illustration, the application. If Jesus is on a mission. That'd be cool to hike the AT. Uh, here's the application. Oh yeah. I like Christianity. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Your question for us this morning is, what is a disciple? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Discipleship is not merely embracing certain ideas, but acting on them. So faith is not just agreement. Yep, check. Faith is commitment to follow Jesus. Oh, do I have to go to church? Do I have to tithe? Do I have to learn to read the Bible and pray? Following Jesus at this point is studying. It's listening. It's considering who Jesus is. This coming year, 2022, I know that's crazy to think about that. We're going to challenge every single person at Mitchell Road Presbyterian Church, man, woman, child, to read through the Bible in 2022, January to December. Uh, We will have lots of plans that we can take advantage of to make it manageable for you and where you are in your stage of life. But I'm putting this bug in your ear now. Be prayerful about that January 2022. I think God is calling you because I think God is calling us as a body to read through together. So Andy's going to kind of align his preaching schedule accordingly. We're going to align a lot of our programmatic offerings to kind of follow this through. So we're, we're really uh, confirming what you're reading and how we're moving through the year chronologically. Again, I know not every one of you will read uh, every word, totally. Some will. I love to encourage you to do that. But we'll pace with you, we'll walk with you in 2022. So begin praying about that now. You got a few months to pray about it. All right, second point since Jesus is Christ, the Christ, we must follow him. All right, we get some discussion from the people of Jerusalem as they react to the Christ. These are residents of Jerusalem. They would have been more familiar with Jesus and some of his teachings. They would have been more familiar with the conflict that was going on between Jesus and uh, the authorities. Verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So is there new evidence, they're asking? Uh, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. A little uninformed here, we'll, more on that later. Verse 28, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not No, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So Jesus is claiming to have come from God the Father, his Father. 30. So they're seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. They feel that this was a blasphemous statement that Jesus made. Yet many of the people believed him, and they said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? They used their brains. Right? They saw what Jesus was intending for them to see, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. All right, so we've got the, the people of Jerusalem are reacting to this claim that Jesus is the Christ, the people, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin officers are also gonna react. Look at verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. The Jews were expecting a prophet like Moses. 41, others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? So there's some wrestling here. What is true in Micah 5.2 is that Micah tells us that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem in the lineage of David. So not Nazareth, not Galilee, not some from unknown origin. For 42, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So they're on it now. 43, so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanting to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, "'Why did you not bring him?' Remember, they sent him to arrest him. The officer said, "'No one ever spoke like this man.' The Pharisees answered them, "'Have you also been deceived?' Have you have any of our, the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? So some of the Pharisees would have belonged to a, a thing called the Sanhedrin. Uh, this was a, a group of folks. There was the Greater Sanhedrin and the Lesser Sanhedrin. The Greater Sanhedrin might be what we'd call like the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, and maybe the Lesser Sanhedrin would be a little bit more like we know about like the city council. Different city councils in different uh, cities in the state, in the country, all all those types of things. The chief priests, however, would have had the authority to arrest Jesus. The Romans left the Jews to kind of police themselves on the most part. But there would have been some Sadducees involved. You know, the Sadducees, Pharisees had a little falling out uh, at times. But the issue was they had something to bond themselves together on now. And that was getting rid of Jesus. Lots of officials here. Verse 49. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone before him and who was one of them, said to them, remember from John 3, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So Nicodemus is acting like one of the Sanhedrin here, giving the man a right to a fair trial. That's what he's after. 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. A lot of fussing, just constant fussing. All right, back to our illustration. All right, A.T. All right, so our main point is Jesus is the Christ here. For the Appalachian Trail, that is, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. Let's talk about the physical impact on you. Let's talk about the mental impact on you. Mental is way bigger than the physical. We do have somebody in here that's hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and the A.T., Preston, what's up? I see you. All right. Uh, and <laughs> that's awesome. So you can talk to him about that. Uh, but it's phenomenal. The physical, mental toll. Why do people not finish? Why do they not finish? They run out of money. Family issues back home, call them away. Injury wasn't what I anticipated. <laughs> yeah. You got to do practice heights. You got to go out over overnight multiple nights and see, is this really something that I want to do for five to seven months. You got to know how to use a map and compass in case you got to leave the trail in emergency. All right, Jesus is the Christ. I think I'm going to do the AT, the application for us. I think I'm going to do Christianity. We got to know the gospel, how you came to believe the gospel, the call to salvation and discipleship, your conversion. Now, I'm not gonna assume that you know the gospel in experience or theology, and I'm also not going to call you to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, right? You don't, you don't get to decide to make him Lord, right? He is Lord, regardless what you and I do or decide. The call, the wrestle for us is that we need to reorient everything in our lives around what Jesus says, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortlund. Many of our ladies and men this summer are reading over this and discussing it. Uh, There's a dialogue in that John Bunyan wrote between Jesus and really any one of us. This is what Dane writes first to kind of preface that. Uh, Fallen, anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that, given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. John Bunyan understands this. He knows we tend to deflect Christ's assurances. All right, this is, this is the Bunyan dialogue here with, with God. No, wait, we say, cautiously opposing Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's a perversity down inside me that's hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it's not just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But but I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. Then I'm the one most suited to forgive them. But the more ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is the gospel. He did it. When you couldn't, when you can't, when you won't, He's forgiven your sins, and he's given you his righteousness. This is the power for you to follow him. Main point three, since Jesus is the water of life, we must follow him. On the last day of the feast, in verse 37, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In the morning, each day of the Feast of Tabernacles, one group of priests went down to the pool of Siloam. In John 9, in a couple of weeks, uh, Jesus is going to heal uh, a man blind, born blind at that same pool. And he drew water. They would draw water with his golden jug. The choir would sing with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation from Isaiah 12. At the water gate, there were three blasts of the trumpet. They returned to the temple Courts poured out the water and sang, accompanied by flutes, choir, imagine children's choir. The water was brought in, given to the priest, who poured it out into two silver bowls, and then they poured them onto the altar. After this, the sacrifice commenced for that day. It went on. There were lots and lots of sacrifices all week. The ceremony, a vivid thanksgiving for God's gift of water, a prayer for rain and remembrance of God's provision for them from water from the rock in the wilderness. And on the great day of the feast, that's what our passage says. This is the eighth day. It was added later after Leviticus, but well before Jesus's time. The priest went around the altar seven times, memory of walking around the walls of Jericho. The priest poured out the water in the bowl onto the ground. It was remembrance of the water again, pouring out of the rock. They read from the passage of Exodus in uh, Ezekiel 47 about the river that would flow from the fresh threshold of the temple, uh, living water running to the Dead Sea. People believed that when the Messiah came, he would provide water just like Moses had done. In Joel three eighteen, he says, And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shatim. It was at this point, at this point that Jesus called out on the last day of the feast, the great day, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The temple police went back amazed. Jesus turned the people's thoughts from this physical water, quenching physical thirst to their spiritual thirst and need for God eternal spiritual satisfaction that it was possible that Jesus, because he is the fulfillment of the tabernacles, will quench forever our thirst. Jesus is the water forever from the rock that flows to us. You, you know this passage ezekiel thirty six i 'll just read the first couple. Sentences. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses and from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jared referenced it on the piano earlier. All right, AT illustration, hang with me. We are close, but we gotta keep walking, all right? Jesus is the water of life. For the Appalachian Trail, that would be, I am prepping to actually go. Backpacking gear, all right? Close to $2,000. It can be much more than that, trust me. Carrying 12, 30 pounds uh, a day, you know, on your back, burning 4,000 to 6,000 calories a day. What kind of food do you eat for that? a lot, right? Hotels with showers, if they're going to be drawing you in, you know, in-town food, all that gets expensive, gets pricey. Huts in New England are pretty pricey. They're awesome, but they're pretty pricey. Cost just goes up and up. You got to register, buy the supplies. How in the world are you going to do laundry? Postage. You got to have money for uh, equipment repair, replacement. Got to have money for an emergency trip home. (gasps) What will have happened if I need an emergency trip home? All right, you got to plan, (laughs) You've got to resupply points, camping regulations in di- different places. There's fees in, in Maine, backcountry permits, and the Smokies. You've got to get that all in advance. can't really plan day to day. You've got to plan big picture so as not to come discouraged and completely frustrated. You've got to have flexibility. How is your flexibility? Trail legs, boy, they take a long time. Maybe from Georgia to Virginia, something like that. You've got to talk with somebody that's hiked this thing. Jesus is the water of life. I'm prepping to actually hike the AT. I am learning what it is to be a disciple and who I am in Christ. I'm actually aligning my life to Christ. My faith is expressing itself in love for others. My identity comes from Christ. So I have a new record. That's justification. I have a new life. That's sanctification and adoption. And I have a new future. That's glorification. Discipleship is not just a, a, a category, a distinct category from Christian living, nor is it something like in addition to believing in Jesus. You're making a commitment to be transformed, to live the way Jesus did. Beginning last week, we're, and we did it today, again, we're offering Sunday morning electives. So these will be short one-month topics Right, with a different teacher every month so that you can dig deeper into God's word at this level. 1010 in the sanctuary, be done at 1045, 35 minutes. We know that biblical literacy is on the wane, so we're attempting to kind of stave that tide off in our congregation. Uh, it's not the silver bullet, but we definitely believe that this will help. So theological topics, biblical book studies, cultural topics in need of consideration. We'll keep it fresh, we'll keep it flowing, we'll keep it fun all while digging, digging deep. Consider joining these. They'll, they'll keep every month change. Fourth point is even shorter. Since Jesus has sent his spirit to us, we must follow him. Again, middle of verse 37. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the spirit has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom, he, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Pentecost is on the way. Acts is going to recount this, but the Spirit is coming. Jesus in John 14 to 16 talks about the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his followers that, and it's better if he goes, because if he goes, then he's going to send the Holy Spirit, God, with us to convict us, to train us in Godliness, to love us and encourage us, to strengthen us for the works that He's prepared beforehand that we would walk in, to remind us of Jesus, the Word, and thus Jesus, the Word, reminds us of our heavenly Father. Continue hiking, illustration. Here we go. Jesus has sent His holy Spirit, the Appalachian Trail. I'm on the trail. it's happening. I'm right now hiking, grueling, demanding, sweaty. You smell like teen spirit, okay? Uh, This is exciting. The elevation gains are like hiking Mount Everest from sea level up to the top of Mount Everest and back 16 times. Maine, you're going to be fording streams, and it gets worse when it's raining. No pain, no rain, no Maine. I must be flexible. Are you flexible? Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit. I'm on trail. I am walking with Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Discipleship is the transformation of individuals and communities into the image of Christ. So what we hope to do is provide an environment of grace in which spiritual growth becomes a lifestyle for y'all. This is the primary. This is the exclusive work of the church of Jesus Christ. It's the thing the church does. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. So this fall and in the following, we're going to encourage everyone to jump into a journey group. We know that everyone won't do that right away, but this is what we're going to be leading you to more and more as the semester's Click by, the years go by. We want you in a journey group. Uh, we wanna talk about those, those things that are most important. That means we may have to pull some energy off, take the foot off the gas on some other things so that we can do that excellently. But we're gonna do it. We've been at it for 12 years, but now we're gonna make a little bit of a renewed vigor about it. All right, so what we hope for you, last five things for journey groups and discipleships will be this, that your mind will be transformed. Transformed because we're going to help you believe what Jesus believed. Your character will be transformed because we're going to help you live as he lived. Your relationships will be transformed because you're going to love as he loved. And your service will be transformed because you're going to serve as he served. And your influence to those around you, friends, family, neighbors, your influence will be transformed as you lead as he led. This is going to be hard. We're going to do it together. I'm really excited. This is just a little sneak peek. We're going to talk about it a lot as the days and weeks approach. But I want you to get excited about it. It's a big call. It's a big call that Jesus has for us. This week, we're talking about following Jesus. Next week, what is it? To worship Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thanks for your grace in this. Lord, it's hard. It's hard to follow you. It's heavy. It's grueling. Lord, we fall, we fail, but you're there with us. You've walked in front of us. You're calling out to us in front of us. Come on, I've got you. You're behind us, picking us up as as we fall and sway. Lord, you're carrying our burdens. You're loving us, you're forgiving us, you're growing us, and you're helping us to engage with those around us. Lord, may you be glorified. May we follow you. In Christ's name we pray.